Warning. Name dropping ahead. Please proceed with caution. All right, we're taking a bit of a left turn on the Man on the Move podcast episode today. It is Nashville story time. I worked for 25 years as a freelance recording engineer in Nashville, Tennessee from 1990 to 2015. And brother, what a ride. Yeah, I'll be talking about that ride a lot on the podcast, that trip down the shallow money trench. Um, we'll, we'll be sharing a lot of stories along the way. Now, why do I refer to it as the shallow money trench? Well, you'll have to stay tuned and I'll drop a link in the show notes as well. I've got some stories uh, that I've written for a possible book that may come out in the future. So I'll link those. You can go check those out as well. Um, also on the podcast, I'll be sharing music industry war stories along with survival tips and tricks for freelancers and also how to manage money and life along the way, all within the core themes of financial counterculture, digital triangulation, and analog manliness. So stay tuned. Uh, be sure you're listening on Apple podcast as well. If you'll rate it and review it, that would be great. We are still the only five-star podcast on Apple Podcasts. Seriously, that's like I, I can't find any other five-star podcasts. So thank you for that. Now, anyone who has worked as a freelancer knows what I mean when I say this. Working as a freelancer is simultaneously your dreams coming true in real time on a daily basis while dealing with stress of epic intensity that no one could ever understand, right? The highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Now, let me give you an example. My wife says, hey, let's go to the beach for spring break. And my first thought is not going to be, hey, the beach sounds nice. I could use some fresh Gulf shrimp. I'd love to do some fishing and it would be nice to maybe kick back and relax for a bit. Hell, I can take a vacation anytime I want, right? For as long as I want. Freedom, baby. The life of the freelancer. That's the freelancer's way. No, no, no. It doesn't go like that. My first thought is, oh my gosh, how much work am I going to miss if we take this trip? Or what if a really big record project calls me right after we book our accommodations? Or can I even afford to be without a week's income? Is this, is this a wise move? I mean, remember, there are no paid vacation days in the freelancers world. That's for sure. Or, oh my gosh, spring break. That's right in the middle of XYZ's project. And if I call in someone else to sub for me for the week, well, will they like him better than they like me and give him the whole gig in the next gig too? And the next project as well? Gosh, this one week vacation could bankrupt me and have me living in a park sometime within the next two to three weeks. Let's just stay home and, and we'll call it a staycation and, and we'll take a Saturday and, and go tour Jack Daniels Distillery for the 10th time. How, how does that sound? Come on, freelancers, you know what I'm saying here. You may not admit to it, but uh, yeah, you never take a vacation. The timing is never right. And I tend towards uh, workaholicism. So that's not a good combo at all. On the flip side, even as a freelancer, when you do get work, well, believe it or not, that can be stressful too. If I book this week for this guy's project, what if a better offer comes along later? Or what if saying yes to this gig means saying no 
to a better gig that might pop up later. And trust me, this always happens. Um, you'll start getting calls when, when you've had a dry spell, when you haven't worked for weeks. You feel like your career is just completely dried up, drier than a dead dingo's ukulele. And then all of a sudden you get a call for two weeks worth of work and it just feels like the weight of the world has lifted off your shoulders, right? Ah, oh, I can breathe again. I finally got a session booked. And then you'll get another call and they want those same two weeks. And then the phone starts ringing and everyone will want the same two damn weeks. Like it always happens. And you've committed to the first thing that, that called. You've, you've committed to the first project that hit your phone. But then a nicer one comes later. And then, boy, after that one, somebody else calls you. You're like, boy, I'd really like to do that project. That, that'd be a cool one. But dang it, I've already committed to this guy that called me right out of my dry spell. And oh, man, what do I do? Can I get an amen from the drummer in the back? How about you, Mr. Guitar Player? Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. In, in this regard, well, my yes was always a yes, and my no was always a no. I, I never tried to trade up once I committed to a gig. I'd, I'd just have to say no to other calls, even if they were better offers. I traded a reputation of reliability and dependability instead of taking the better offers. And in the long run, it paid off for me. No one wants to book a guy knowing he's got the reputation of calling you back in two to three weeks and bailing on you. That's not a good reputation to have. And honestly, it's a good way to not end up getting a lot of calls. Of course, I'd always try to wrangle schedules around and, and see if anybody had any leeway. Can you move it two weeks earlier, two weeks later? But you know, sometimes it was just a no and I had to move on. A lot of guys did try to trade up though. I was booked on a big country record one time where uh, about three days out, the guitar player that we had booked for the session, he was a top call session guy, but he called about three days out and said he was going to have to pull out of the session. Uh, he'd gotten a last minute call for some Keith Urban sessions and they were on the same days we had him booked for our sessions. And well, Keith is a bigger star than your star. You know how it goes, right? Ah, that's That's a pretty shitty thing to do. Calling Buddha session three days out when it's going to be hard to find a, a top caliber replacement in that short a time. I never did that. Uh, okay, I did it one time. I, I confess, I, I did do it one time. I, I booted out of a Lincoln Brewster session to record um, Sarah Groves' All Right Here record. And whew, thank God I did. Sarah's record landed huge. I mean, huge. And uh, that that record launched me into new heights for my career. She really launched the whole indie movement, that whole singer-songwriter movement. And that was a huge record for me to be a part of. And Lincoln, well, well, never mind. He, I just didn't have a good vibe about the project. Yeah, I didn't boot it three days out, though. It was, it was more like a month out, but I, I did it once, honestly. And that's the only time I can ever think of doing that. So not too bad, not too bad. Okay, uh, a sip of my favorite beverage, Topo Chico here. Not a sponsor of the show in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to look at running your business as a freelancer in an upcoming episode. That's an episode called O Mercenary. So stay tuned for that on Apple Podcasts. And like I said, rate and review that if you would. I would be very uh, merci beaucoup. 
which is French for thank you kindly. But as a mercenary freelancer, you go where the money takes you, right? You're a gun for hire for whoever, well, to a certain extent, I'm, I'm not a whore, though I did come close a few times. I did a project for the prayer bear. <laughs> the prayer bear prostituted me to new lows, showers, after the session every night. He was a dirty, filthy beast. But yeah, you'll pretty much work for whoever and, and wherever. I traveled to Timbuktu, BFE, middle of nowhere, where the fuck I stand. Hell, I even went to Tulsa. I'll link a story about that in the show notes as well. But as a freelancer, we're always waiting for the big call. The next big thing, the project that will propel you, put your name on the map, or if your name is on the map, it might put it on a bigger map, or you'll get your name in lights, or maybe you'll win a Grammy or a Nobel Peace Prize or millions upon millions. Well, okay, hold up, hold up now. Easy, cowboy. However, maybe one day, just maybe, you get a call to work with one of the biggest selling artists of all time. A guy who has outsold the Beatles. Oh, and we'll be recording his superstar wife, who is one of the most recognizable names in country music. Oh, and their friend, who is a pop icon and the voice of the American Idol generation, is duetting with her. So, that's right. Yeah, you, you get a call to work with Garth and Trisha and Kelly. Now, I'm no stranger to superstars. I walked into Warner Brothers in 1990 and landed a gig as a freelancer on-call assistant engineer there. My first gig was Kenny freaking Rogers. I mean, at the time, they didn't get much better than that. Then the studio manager went out of town for a week and asked me to cover for him. And lo and behold, Hank Williams Jr. comes in, unannounced to record all the vocals for Monday Night Football shows that season. Yours truly spent three days with the legend himself in the studio. I followed that up with a Brenda Lee Christmas record that was cut live on the floor with no overdubs. We had a huge orchestra and a backing band and background vocals and percussion and everything all at once. It, it was epic. And that was my intro into Nashville right out of the gate. And over 25 years, I went on to record gold records, platinum records, Grammy Awards, Latin Grammy Awards. Yeah, it, it all happened. It all happened. So fast forward a cool 25 years later, and I'm in the studio with Emmy Lou Harris. There's another drop for you. Bang! I need sound effects for this episode. Dropping names. But I'm in the session, and I see a text from a good friend of mine who is a mega producer and, and a studio owner, and he asks in the text message, he says, can you come over tonight and work with Garth and Trisha? <laughs> That's how it happens. Um... Yeah. Funny thing about that. I told him, you know, we're planning to wrap around seven uh, with Amy Lou. So I told him I could be at his studio by eight and um, that worked out. They were fine with it. They were, they wanted to work late anyway. You know, superstars think about it. When do they go on stage every night? They go on stage around eight or nine o'clock, right? Headliner showtime, nine, nine thirty at night. So, that's when their bodies are geared up. That's when they're geared up to work. That's when their peak energy happens, right? And I never understood why in the studio, 
a lot of producers would say, uh, all right, well, can you come in at 10 and, and we'll start recording? 10 o'clock in the morning, these people are zombies. It, it doesn't work that way. You got to line up with their with their energy wave, with their um, with you know their energy level, their their way of working. I, I never understood that. And so anyway, that I don't know. I got I got way out of my notes there, but that thought just came to mind of like you're trying to put a square peg and do a round hole a lot of times when when you do that. These folks are used to working and singing at night. That's when their energy level comes alive. Roll with that in the studio. I think you get a much better um, performance. So yeah, Garth and Trisha, they're like, yeah, yeah, eight o'clock. That's fine. Um, I had driven to work in my Jeep that day and I didn't even have the doors on it. I think the top was off of it, nothing. And I was just wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Uh, but that day a cold front blew in, so I'm leaving Emmy Lou's session and I'm driving out to the studio to meet Garth and Trisha and I was freezing my ass off. I had the heater up blowing full blast and I was just shivering like crazy, literally like teeth chattering. It was miserable. Um, so yeah, I show up at the studio. It turns out Trisha was recording a duet with Kelly Clarkson on a song called Prize Fighter. Uh, it was going to be on Trisha's new record and um, Trisha and Garth, they'd been recording the project at Garth's studio, but Trisha just couldn't get comfortable with the vocal sound there, and she didn't like the headphone mix there for some reason. And uh, so, like I said, a friend of mine owned a studio, and Trisha had actually recorded there before, and she really liked the vibe. So that was my opening. That was my invite to come over and record the sessions at his place on this particular evening. So I walked in. He had the studio all set up and ready to go. It was vibed out with nice lighting and little little uh, table for Trisha and a, and a chair and the mic stand and everything. She was all set up and ready to go in there. And I walk in, I'm freezing my ass off. I'm dressed like I'm going to the beach. And here stands Garth and Trisha, the superstars. Hey, hello. Nice to meet you. And um, Garth has a hard drive from his studio. And yeah, no pressure. He hands me the drive and it's time to go, you know. So I hook it up to the computer. I open their session up and there's no mix at all for the track. It's just all the faders at zero. And, uh, they're all standing around waiting for me, Trish and Garth and my buddy that owns the studio. And you know, she's ready to record it. And, uh, so I have to start cobbling together a mix that sounds like a record, something vibey enough for us to work with. So man, this is where you better have your shit locked down and locked down tight because this is where you become a lead pipe wielding professional right here. I told him, Hey, give me 15, 20 minutes. And I went to work like a madman creating a mix for us to work from. And I, and I got, it sounded really good, really quickly. Kudos to Garth's team at his studio, Jack's tracks. They know what they're doing over there and they had it recorded really, really well. And it was easy to get a really nice sounding mix. And then I had to set up Trisha's vocal sound. And when Trisha Yearwood starts singing, you best be recording and not just donking around with the knobs and faders. This means relying on 25 years experience and you need to have a vocal sound set up before she even starts singing. And then you need to be able to fine tune it on the fly, like within the first uh, three or four words. The last thing you want to happen with a world-class singer behind the microphone is to get to the end of the first take 
And then you have to say, okay, well, nothing on that take is going to be usable from my end, but uh, I've got the vocal sound dialed in now. Are you ready to go from the top one more time? No, 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 no. That is a, that's bad. That is a worst case scenario. Young folks recording, don't do that. You're always in the red and you've always got recordable and usable material. You almost have to have ESP and the experience and the background knowledge to know how to record the vocal before you even record the vocal. And that's how you'll get paid the big bucks, folks. So in the end, we got it dialed up and we only spent about an hour recording the vocal. She was singing great and she loved the vocal sound. She loved the cue mix and she knocked it out in only three or four takes along with a few short breaks in between. So once she was done, I immediately started working up a vocal comp. A vocal comp is where you take those three or four takes and you and you take the best parts of each take and you compile it all together into one take. That compiling is called the comp. Uh, it's the compilation of the best of the best. And then I tweaked her sound a little bit and I ha- added some nice effects to it and I dressed up the mix a little bit and I got some EQ and compression going to kind of radio it and boom, they freaking loved it. I freaking nailed it. And when this happens, you get more work. So this immediately turned into, hey, the next day, instead of recording Kelly over at Gar Studio, let's bring her over here to record her vocal. And um, yeah, we we immediately agreed to a time to meet the next day. And so Kelly comes in the next afternoon. I think she came over like, um, I don't know, two or three in the afternoon. And uh, I guess... When you meet Kelly, she doesn't shake hands. She hugs you. <laughs> That's her thing. Uh, so she gives everybody a hug. She gave me a hug. And uh, we all sat around and visited for a little bit. And we played the song through a few times so Kelly could practice her lines and kind of warm up a little bit there in the control room with us. And and then she hopped behind the mic. And, man, it, she amazed us all. We literally spent an hour max uh, getting her parts and then Trisha jumped out in the studio with her. They got on the mic together for some ad libs and BGVs, and that part was killer as well. Uh, Garth was producing the whole thing. It was just a super cool vibe in the studio. And um, yeah, Kelly was done really quickly, and we hung out a little bit. Garth ordered some dinner in, and uh, we hung out and ate. And then everybody just kind of meandered on out the door and went about their business. I took the uh, hard drive home to my studio so I could finish some final editing in my studio and then run some rough mixes for him. So Garth gave me a cell phone number and said, hey, call me when you're done with the drive and, and I'll come out to your house and pick it up. And that's Garth too. He will literally drive out to my house to get it. He won't send someone. He'll do it himself. He's really cool in that regard. Um So I called him like a day later after I was finished with all the final edits and tweaks and everything. And I told him I was done. And he said, well, hey, Trisha and I are on our way out your way to a benefit dinner. And I said, well, why don't we just meet at the YMCA nearby? It'd be an easy point for where they're going and from where we live and where we were going. So he said, yeah, cool. We'll meet you at the Y. And um, so I was in my Jeep with my wife and I had my youngest son with me and we roll in. I see Garth pull in behind me right as we're getting there. And he hops out of the car. He gives me a hug. He gives my wife a hug. He gives my son a hug. And then Trisha hops out of the car and does the same thing. 
only instead of wearing a cowboy hat on her head, she still had rollers in her hair and she was still putting on her makeup. <laughs> it was hilarious. They are not pretentious in any way, shape, or form. They are just real and genuine people. It's really cool. So after finishing this single with Kelly, um, Trisha really liked the sound I was getting so much so she called me again, said she wanted to record more of a record with me out at the same studio. So over the next few weeks, we recorded several more songs for her new project and it was all coming together really fast. She was singing great. Garth is just a ton of fun to work with as a producer. And as a part of this project, I happened to know she was re-recording her hit single from the early 90s, Walk Away Joe. And man, I was praying I could get in on that one. That's a duet that she sings with Don Henley and he was going to come in. They were going to re-record that, but um, it didn't come to be. Win Some, Lose Some, but man, what an awesome song that is. That one, that song was written by Greg Barnhill, who's an awesome dude as well. So yeah, after several more days of recording and finishing all the songs that she wanted to work on for the time being, I took the hard drive back to my studio again for more editing and tweaks and touching everything up, making sure everything was 100%. And then Trisha had told me, hey, if you'll call me when you're done with the hard drive, I'll come over to pick it up and uh, I'll, I'll bring you a pie or a cake. <laughs> At the time, she had a, a really popular cooking show that focused on baking. And she was like, yeah, I'll run over to your house, pick up the hard drive and I'll, I'll bring you a, a, a pie or a cake, which would have been hilarious. But she lives in Goodlettsville. It's like over an hour away. There's, there's no way I'm going to let her drive all the way over to my house to pick up a hard drive. That would have been hilarious though. So I wrapped up this round of editing and comping and I called Garth and I told him, Hey, I've got to run to a shop that I will literally drive right past your studio on my way there. So let me just drop off the hard drive at your studio. He was like, no, 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 man. I'll, I'll come get it. I'll come get it out at your house. I was like, nope, nope. I'm literally driving right by your studio. Let me just drop it off. So he relents and says, all right, that, all right, that's cool. I'll see you in a little bit. And I hopped in my Jeep, headed up to Nashville. Was, at least it was a little warmer that day. Uh, but about 15 minutes later, I'm on the road. My phone rings. I look down, I see it's Garth. So I answer it and he says, Hey man, you want a prime rib sandwich? And, and what do you want to drink? Oh, and French fries. I'm, I'm ordering prime rib sandwiches, man. Um, yeah, that'd be great. So I got to a studio. They were uh, recording strings that day, um, for one of the songs that we'd worked on with Tricia. So I hung out a bit, ate lunch with Garth, listened to the string sessions go down. And then, uh, you know, I said, thanks. Garth gave me a big hug, big old bear hug. And I, uh, I motored on and that was that the next time I saw him funny enough, it was about three years later while I was working at Apple and the store was just buzzing. Cause Garth was in, uh, she, Garth was in the store shopping with Trisha and I went out to say, Hey, and it was like a fun reunion. They were hugging me and talking about the work we'd done. And there was a big crowd all around with some of my store managers as well. And, and Garth says, Oh, Hey Todd, I got you pulled up in my phone. I'm going to text you from my new phone number here. So you have it. <laughs> okay. My, my coworkers were like WTF is going on right now. Garth is literally giving Todd his phone number and, and, had him in his phone already like what is what is this it was hilarious i think garth did it on purpose just to embarrass me or you know just to make me feel good or something i don't it, it was great he's he's a funny dude um so i'll to wrap this story this is great too 
when we finished working, I sent my invoice into Trisha's accountant. She kept threatening me that I needed to bill her my absolute top rate since she had called me at the last minute to do this thing. And she kept saying, bill me, you know, bill me, send me a big bill. And so I, I sent her a pretty hefty invoice, you know, and, um, emailed it in and I got paid within a week. Um, and then about a week later, I got another check for the same invoice number and the same amount. And I was like, Oh, that's weird. So I called her accounting firm and I said, Hey, I, I think there's been a mistake. You, you paid me twice. Uh, so I'm going to rip up check number, whatever. And I'm only going to put check number one ever into the bank. And the lady laughed and said, Oh, don't do that. Put them both in the bank. You've never worked for Tricia before. Have you? This is just what she does. She pays you twice. <laughs> super generous, super genuine. And, uh, Suffice to say, I'm huge Garth and Trisha fans. Kelly, she's awesome too. Some of the sweetest and most down-to-earth people I've ever met and some of the most down-to-earth people I've ever worked for. Just just awesome, awesome people. Super thankful for the opportunity. It was just a really cool moment in time. And, um, and then I left the business for good not too long afterwards. Go out on the high notes, man. Go out working with the biggest. Go out work, working with the best. So, okay, that's a wrap for Nashville Storytime, Garth, Trisha, Kelly. Fun, fun project, really cool people, awesome, awesome time, very generous folks. And there's plenty of more stories where that comes from, trust me, loads and loads of stories. All right, next week, another random topic, another left turn, right turn, however you want to look at it, but we're going to talk about how to launder money and is Tippy Hedren involved? Now, warning, money laundering is, of course, highly illegal. But for some reason, I just think money laundering is really interesting. I don't know why. And how in the hell does Tippy Hedren fit in? You'll have to tune in to find out. Until then... Music by Colehead. Go to Spotify to hear more. And thanks to Brooklyn Addison, as always, at Romboid Media. And as always, just a reminder, you need to get out there. You need to get on the move. You need to stay on the move. Get with the man on the move. I'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>